This is the Denver Gazette Sports Podcast, and I'm your host, Chris Schmedeke. It's Bronco Reaction Monday as I sit down with Chris Thomason to discuss possibly the worst loss in Broncos history. Stay tuned. This is the Denver Gazette Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Schmedeke, and I am joined today by Chris Thomason to discuss I mean, I guess we can figure this out later. The worst loss in Broncos history. It is definitely up there. Chris, you are live from Miami. How are you today? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's dive into this uh, as much as we can. As most of you already know, the Dolphins beat the Broncos yesterday 70 to 20. Um, it It's funny to say, I don't even feel like it was that close <laughs> I hate to say that, but that's the way I kind of feel. Uh, Chris, I just want to get your general reaction. You know, you were in that locker room after the game. What's a feeling after a loss like this? I mean, nobody shied away from saying what a humiliating loss it was. I mean, the phrase embarrassing was pro- said by half a dozen players that I spoke to and probably many others that I didn't speak to. I mean, it was utterly humiliating. First NFL team to give up 70 points since 1966, just the third time in regular season history in the NFL, which is now, what, 104 years old, that a team has scored 70 points in a game. And in their history, the Broncos are never even allowed 60 in a game. 59 was their high, done twice, and 70 the Dolphins put up. So, yeah, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It was completely humiliating from a Denver standpoint. I remember the 59 game in 2010 against the Raiders. That was kind of Josh McDaniel's last stand, if I kind of remember correctly. That was one of his last games as the Broncos coach. But, um, you know, you were there live. I wanted to ask you, like, I watched the first drive here from home, three plays right down the field, and I said, oh, boy, they're in trouble. Yeah, the first half, they went up and down the field, but at least they were drives. The second half was unbelievable with just the the huge plays. I mean, I don't think Mike McDaniel at all was trying to run up the score. I mean, if they had had methodical drives, you know, maybe they would have gone for it on fourth down and failed and they wouldn't have gotten 70, but they were scoring on one or two plays. It was just utterly unbelievable. And even on that last drive, when they had 70, they broke kind of a a long one and it looked like maybe they had a chance for uh, 77, but uh, then finally uh, Mike McDaniel, a Colorado native who grew up following Denver teams was uh, kind enough not to rub it in and took a knee on the last play. So yeah, they averaged eight, 8.1 yards to carry on the ground. Uh, Tua only had three incompletions and he didn't have his first incompletion the second half. Is that right? Um. Well, he started out 17 of 17, and I think, what did he finish? 26 of 29. I mean, we were turning the pages of the record book when he was uh, completing every pass, 25 in a row is the NFL record, so he really didn't get that close to that. But what was amazing during that 17 for 17 stretch is just the ease of the completions. I mean, he had no pressure, and he was just flipping the ball, and Nobody had to out make an outstretched catch. I mean, guys were just wide open. So we have to talk about the defense, of course, like you already started. And we have to talk about Vance Joseph. You know, that's the hot-button topic during the game, after the game, this morning. Uh, we're recording this before Sean Payton talks. 
you know, does, does this all fall on Vance Joseph? Does it fall on the injuries a little bit? Does it fall on the talent on the defense? Like, is it just a combination of all that? Well, I mean, Vance Joseph is the defensive coordinator while Sean Payton handles the offense. So certainly the bulk of it falls on him. But yeah, they've had uh, injury issues. They've had several guys go down at safety. Frank Clark, who they brought in, was supposed to be their big pass rusher. He's been out the last couple of games and that sort of thing. And, um, you know, I mean, Sean Payton kept saying last week that with the injuries and some safeties out and that sort of thing, that we have a plan. So uh, whatever the plan was, it didn't work. I was going to say, it didn't seem like a great plan. That's for sure. So, you know, you were not the Gazette yet when they hired Vance Joseph, but you understand the history of the Vance Joseph hire and everything. You know, this seems to be looking worse by the minute. You know, they were bad against the commanders. The defense was okay against the Raiders, but they didn't come up with the key stop. What what was the allure of Vance Joseph to Sean Payton? Because he had other big names on his interview list. I'm sure you've seen that. What was it? Because Vance Joseph's defenses have never been that great. Yeah, obviously wasn't here during the hiring process. So I know some of the names that were out there, but, you know, I don't know, uh, obviously, the, you know, the inner workings of who else was close, how much money they wanted, all that kind of stuff. But, uh, I mean, yeah, Vance Joseph, he was defense coordinator the last four years for Arizona, and they didn't exactly uh, – set the world on fire then and uh obviously he was well known as a former head coach in denver you know great guy great personality all that kind of stuff but uh yeah i I thought i mean looking on from afar before i started covering the team i thought it was an interesting hire you know namely just because the guy was head coach you know so recently i mean it just uh, i can't think of an instance where a guy's been a head coach and then been fired and then come back just a couple of years later to the same team i mean um wade phillips did it with denver but it was 20 years removed he was the head coach and then came back 20 years later as the defensive coach but can't can't think of a similar uh situation with vance joseph and so that seemed a little awkward from the start right there yeah and you know I I watched a lot of that Cardinals Cowboys game last uh yesterday afternoon and that Cardinals defense looked a lot better than the Broncos defense against the Cowboys team uh you know with Jonathan Gannon as their head coach so I I I don't know I'll ask you this and you can answer this however you want but do you feel they make a move this early on him or do you think they play it out with it only being three games in I would be surprised, and uh, if things change later today, you can uh, edit out my response if you want. <laughs> but, I mean, it's only three games into the season, and if they were to make a move like that, that would indicate a panic-type move right away. I mean, in the first game of the season, the defense was not all that bad. I mean, they gave up 17 to the Raiders, and then – the first half against Washington, the defense wasn't bad. So really they've played six halves this season. The first three defensively weren't bad. And it just seemed like after that Kareem Jackson personal foul, I mean, everything is careened 
uh, out of control. I mean, they gave up 32 points in 32 minutes against Washington and then the debacle on Sunday. So basically they've given up about a hundred points roughly in the last uh, three halves. But one thing that is concerning and can't continue is the penalties mm-hmm. and the personal fouls. There was another one uh, yesterday. So I think they're up to six personal fouls on defense this season. That's two a game. What about the tackling? It seemed like they were not tackling well yesterday either. No, they weren't to tackling, but often the guys they catch were anybody so, either. They so. were so wide open and they were running downfield in space that nobody was even close enough to uh, tackle. And uh, Turner Yell, who started, made his first career start at safety. He was the leading tackler in the game, and uh, it's usually not a good sign when your uh, safety is your leading tackler. No, that's not a good sign. So. I want to talk about Sean Payton a little bit. Uh, Of course, you had the exchange with him that's kind of been all over the internet now when he didn't really want to answer your question. You know, he has to take a fair share of blame in this. This is, you know, he, he came in here guns blazing. You know, he said all that stuff about Hackett. He, you know, we're going to be disciplined. We're going to be this, you know, I'm going to be mad if we don't make the playoffs. This team has not shown anything better really than last season. So, you know, you tried to ask him a question about this, how historic this loss was, and he didn't want to answer that. But I understand his frustration after the game, of course. But, you know, he, he's probably, I mean, I'm sure you feel this way. He, he's got to answer questions. His team got blown out by 50, and he's the head coach. Well, we'll say this. He said at the start of his press conference yesterday, this will be brief. <laughs> he spoke for four minutes, so I was thinking we might have a – one or two minute uh, type deal. So, uh, hey, I'll give him credit for uh, speaking for four minutes yesterday. But you bring up an excellent point. I mean, he put pressure, you might say, on the team right away by telling USA Today, I'll be pissed if we're not going to make the playoffs. And uh, since uh, 1990, I believe it is, I think like 158 teams have started out 0-3, four have made the playoffs. So, uh it's not looking like they're going to make the playoffs, so that might mean we're we're seeing a uh, pissed off Sean Payton for the next fourteen weeks. Oh, well, great! I'm sure that'll make your life a lot easier. <laughs> so, all right, um, I'll flip over the offense. It's tough to kind of talk about the offense in this game because they never really had a chance. Um, but you know, it's the same story, Chris. Is they looked decent in the first half? Again, they couldn't get any. The defense couldn't get off the field, so it didn't matter. And then the second half, they didn't score. And, you know, I know this game is weird, but there's still that little bit of one good half, and that's it from this offense. Yeah, you're speaking of the offense. They did get the Marvin Mims 99-yard touchdown uh, kickoff. That was their only. But, yeah, the offense didn't score. And, uh, you know, I don't know if frustration just set in. I mean, Cortland Sutton fumbled twice lost fumbles he was down after the game saying he can't do that but hey when you lose by 50 I don't think uh the two fumbles uh made a a huge difference but yeah overall it's been the same story because the Broncos did show some fight and some resiliency in the first half you're thinking when they got down 14 to nothing that they were done but hey they came down at a nice touchdown drive cut it to 14 to 7 then it was 21 to 7 and then they had another nice drive and then there was a touchdown call back by a penalty there were two touchdowns 
called back by penalties in the second quarter. And, you know, you wonder if they just kind of got uh, demoralized uh, offensively that standpoint. And then obviously in the second half, you, you look at the scoreboard and you're hopelessly out of the game. And I mean, what does the offense do do then? But, uh, you know, I thought they might get some more cheapy yards, at least in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask you because, you know, this team hasn't won much since 2015. Um, a lot of guys in that locker room, Garrett Bowles said it last night about how, you know, I've been here for, I don't know, it was six or seven years and all I've done is lose. Does a loss like this, you know, they can say they're moving on to the Bears, but does a loss like this stick with a team like this that really hasn't, I mean, I hate saying, but the Denver Broncos have a losing culture. Well, that's what they stressed after the game. They can't let this loss affect future games. It's one loss. They have to move on. I mean, they're quite fortunate. You might say that they're facing the Bears on Sunday, which one would think is a very winnable game. But if they lose to Chicago, a team that's also 0-3 and has been in total disarray of late, I mean, the se- it could just be a free fall for the season. And then you're then you're looking and talking about Caleb Williams and the number one pick in the draft. Oh, well, that'll get people fun. Oh, well, maybe, maybe he won't yeah. come out for the Broncos either. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe they're already talking about that, but everybody will really be talking about it if they lose to Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So I, I want to ask you again, I think like I asked you this last week too, about just the talent on the team. And again, they, they do have some injuries, but every team has injuries. They just don't – I mean, the Dolphins seem like a varsity team against a JV team yesterday. Like – is it just is this more of a rebuild than anyone's ever going to lead on? Yeah, I think so. I mean, depth is a definite issue. We talked about it in the preseason when uh, their second and third stringers collapsed in a couple preseason losses, and now they've had some injuries, and so uh, you know, guys are moving up the depth chart, and they don't have a lot of depth. So uh, that has been a concern but you know the the, i mean the bottom line is what the broncos have to do is i mean if i'm part of the broncos brass i'm just saying hey this is an aberration i mean we had two super close losses you know games we could have or should have won against the raiders and the commanders i mean hey we could easily still be two and one at, at this point so it's not like they've been completely blown out in all three games. So I think they just have to flesh this game and uh, move on. And let's just be honest. The Dolphins are pretty good. They're the only only undefeated team left in the AFC. Uh, Mike McDaniel's a great coach. They have talent all over the place. You know, they won two road games before this um, in LA. I mean, we all know about LA's home field advantage, but then they went to New England and won on Sunday night. So, I mean, they're a really good team. I mean, not a 50-point win team, you don't think. But um, I saw a lot of this on social media during the game where a lot of coaches kind of have it out for the Broncos a little bit um, because of Peyton's comments about Hackett, because of things in past with the Elway run team and the Shanahan family. Do you see – I mean, you said you don't think McDaniel was trying to run up the score. The Broncos just couldn't stop them. But did you sense a little bit that like McDaniel and Fangio really didn't have a problem putting it on the Broncos? 
Well, you know, I don't know about that. I mean, Mike McDaniel is is a class guy. And as I touched upon, I mean, he grew up a huge Broncos fan. And uh, I had a chance to talk to him a little bit uh, at the owner's meeting last March. And he expressed briefly, it was the first time I met him, you know, his love for Denver, you know, Smoky Hill High School, Aurora, what have you. But uh, no, I don't think he was running up. I mean, I would, he was probably astounded on how quickly they scored there in the second half. But, you know, you do bring up an interesting point about Sean Payton and his comments to USA Today. I mean, you come in as a coach and, uh, I mean, you make those comments before you, you've you played a game. And, uh, you know, I mean, Sean Payton is still kind of leaning on having won a Super Bowl in 2009 season. But this is 14 years later. You can't live on that forever. So, uh, yeah, I, I imagine there's uh, some animosity toward him regarding those remarks. So what's what like the Broncos are flipping the page. Let's just flip the page real quick and talk a little bit about the Bears. Like you said, it's a team in disarray. There's something going on with their defensive coordinator who had to step down. Justin Fields does not look like, you know, a stuff. There was a while that he you got you could get good odds for him for the MVP. I don't think that's happening anymore. But, you know, is this kind of a perfect game for the Broncos at the perfect time? But also, like, the Bears are probably a pretty desperate football team as well. So how do the Broncos go into this one? No, it's definitely not a perfect time for the Broncos. No game is at this juncture after what we saw yesterday. And we don't know how they're going to respond. But, uh, you know, yeah, certainly it's a winnable game. But I've covered many games in Chicago, having previously covered the Vikings and uh the turf at Soldier Field is suspect. The weather can be suspect. The winds can come in. I mean, weird things can happen at uh, Soldier Field. So it's certainly no gimme. And, uh, you know, one of these two teams is going to kind of uh, rally and win the game. Unless we have a tie. Hey, maybe we'll have a tie. Oh, there we uh, go. <laughs> but, you know, the Bears were are in disarray. They've they're they've been humiliated and that sort of thing so uh, we'll see who's in a less humiliating state at uh sunday afternoon i worry after watching guys just run past the broncos defense yesterday there's one thing justin fields can do it's run and he can make plays out of the pocket i just i just feel like the broncos don't have speed on defense and that could hurt them again on sunday yeah i mean that's a good uh point that you make there so uh maybe on the crummy turf in soldier field that will be to an advantage uh speed will be negated a little bit because it's definitely not a uh a fast track but uh no you're you're accurate that there's not uh a lot of speed there's not a lot of speed on either side of the ball and uh marvin mims uh continues despite his stellar play to get reduced snaps i mean i kind of was joking on Twitter the other day that, oh, he's just caught two long passes, means he won't be targeted the rest of the game. And that pretty much almost was uh, the situation. So uh, maybe it's time to turn some of those young guys loose. I mean, Drew Sanders got a start and uh, played 44 snaps. I mean, Marvin Mims, I still believe, 
needs to play more. And at least Jaleel McLaughlin got five carries. He didn't do a lot with them. I mean, running the ball was it's not a good day to run the ball when you're on your way to a 50 point loss, but it'd be interesting to see if some of those younger guys get continued extended playing time. Uh, like I said earlier, we we haven't heard from Sean Payton yet this uh, morning, but any, I know Josie Jewell got hurt. Uh, what, what are some other injuries that we'll have to have an update on today? If he even gives any. Yeah, Jewel had a, a groin and he, uh, I think was only in for 19 plays uh, on Sunday. Mike Purcell came in questionable with an ankle injury and then I had a rib injury, but he returned to the game. So doesn't sound like that is a serious deal. So um, yeah, we'll have to see injury wise, but I think of more concern as some of these other, these guys who missed the games. I mean, Justin Simmons, how long is he going to be out with his hip injury? And uh, Frank Clark, uh, you know, was said to have been out a couple of weeks. He's missed two. So when's he going to come back? I mean, I'm sure he's champion at the bit and, Definitely wants to be back for that uh, October 12th game when he returns to Kansas City. Well, that's a, that's a scary thought about going to Kansas After losing by 50 on the road to the Dolphins, going to Kansas City is not, does not sound like a treat for the Broncos, that's for sure. You know. All right, Chris. Uh, yeah, but at least, the, at least the Jets game has now uh, become yeah. a more winnable uh, option. Well, I, I've noticed, too, that now that Rodgers, you know, when Rodgers got hurt on the fourth play or whatever it was, like now the New York media is all over Hackett already about how bad of an offensive coordinator he is. I've already noticed that. So so that didn't take long. Just like here, like they realize that he's kind of him paired with Rodgers is just different than him paired with anybody else. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting, that game. I mean, that game went from being anticipated to super anticipated after the comments were made to USA Today to uh, kind of a uh, dis- declining uh, stock price after Rodgers went out. I mean, yeah, certainly there's going to be some interest with the comments that were made, but uh, that game, you know, looked like a game that was going to be shown to maybe much of the nation in that late afternoon time slot. But uh, now it uh, could be a ho-hum game between, you know, two teams going nowhere it's possible so make sure you read all of chris's coverage at denvergazette.com he has daily coverage of the broncos and everything going on with them also make sure to subscribe to this podcast on spotify or apple chris and i break down the bronco game the day after uh, i usually talk with tyler king during the week about what's going on in coach prime world um not a great football weekend in colorado i, I don't have the exact numbers but colorado teams were outscored by quite a bit but um so yeah make sure you subscribe to that and make sure you check out all of chris's content on denvergazette.com and chris we will talk to you again next monday by the way 112 to 36 112 to 36 there you go <laughs> i i made a joke to some people Oh, there's no way the Dolphins score as many as Oregon. Boy, I was way wrong on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you were indeed. Yes. All right, Chris, uh, safe travels back to Denver, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to the Denver Gazette podcast. Make sure to visit denvergazette.com for all your local news on Broncos, Rockies, 
Avalanche, Nuggets, and much, much more. We'll talk to you next time.